After growing up on six acres outside of Rochester, New York, Laura Harrington took off for Europe with a desire to see the wider world. Once back in the States, she took a variety of odd jobs, including selling used office furniture and working in a factory pressing plastic checkbook covers before deciding it was time to head to college. Although she'd always wanted to be a novelist, in grad school she took a playwriting class and fell in love with theater. That led to over two decades of writing plays, operas, musicals, librettos, and lyrics. In 2008, Laura won the Cleveland Award for her work as a librettist. The Cash Award allowed her time off to write, only this time she decided to write a novel. That novel was Alice Bliss, which, since its publication in 2011, has met with rave reviews and has been lauded by People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, School Library Journal, and Barnes & Noble. It also recently won the Massachusetts Book Award for Fiction. We'll talk to Laura about adapting her book from a musical and then turning it back into a musical, the difference between writing for the theater and writing novels, and why you shouldn't talk about yourself too much on Twitter, as Laura Harrington joins us on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Krista Bean, and today we're welcoming to the show author Laura Harrington. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Thank you, Krista. I'm very glad to be here. Now, your debut novel, Alice Bliss, came out last year, and it's been extremely successful. And just last week, it won the Massachusetts Book Award in Fiction. So congratulations on that. Um, and tell Thank us, you. Tell us a little bit about your book. Um, Alice Bliss is a kind of classic coming-of-age story about a 15-year-old girl who is uh, very close to her father, and he deploys to Iraq in the 2006 surge. So it's really, but it really tells the story of the war from the point of view of those at home and those left behind and what the families and the children and the community are going through when someone um, is missing. Great. And where did, where did this idea come from? Um, you know, uh, it's such an interesting question. We started out uh, writing a 30-minute uh, one-woman musical about this, about Alice Bliss. Um, and to give you an example, a 30-minute musical has a script that's only seven pages long. And the the musical could really only capture kind of one moment in Alice's life. And I realized that she was such an interesting character and it was such an interesting story that there was more there to be discovered. Um, I also come from a family that doesn't consider itself a military family, but at the same time, my dad uh, was stationed in Europe in World War II, mm-hmm. um, and he was a navigator bombardier, and both my brothers were in the Air Force from 1966 to 1970, um, and one deployed to Vietnam. So uh, there's just a lot of, um, you know, I've had some experience with what this does to a family and how difficult it is, um, even when they come home. Um, and then I'm also very unquiet about the fact that 99% of us can live our lives right now as though the wars don't exist or are not happening. Mm. And I think um, I'm in some ways trying to write an anti-war novel that also calls attention to what the sacrifices are that are so invisible to us. Most of us don't see these families and have no idea what they're going through, let alone see the service members. Well, and that's and, and I think it's really poignant, especially for, for today. Um, that pe- people who are reading this book could have potentially been in this exact same situation just a few years ago. You know, this war is not ancient history. I mean, it's, you know, no. very recent. And still going on and still going on. Even though we're not in Iraq, we are still in Iraq to a degree and we're now in um, Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. now you're the first person we've talked to at Scripts and Scribes who um, has not only had a book adapted from a musical, 
but the book is now being turned back into a musical of its own. Um, I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. Can you talk a little bit about that process of change, taking a 30-minute musical, turn it into a book, and now making it, uh, I assume it's a full-length musical now. That's Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. So we've kind of had to leave the 30-minute one-woman musical behind at this point, even though it's been done a lot. Um, and uh, that I'm so lucky I had the opportunity to do that because it inspired the book. But now that we have the book, I'm also incredibly lucky that the composer I worked with on Alice Unwrapped, which was the little musical, um, and another big musical called Crossing Brooklyn, she just loved the book and took it to a Broadway producer who loves her work. And subsequent to that, Playwrights Horizons said, oh yeah, we want to step up and commission this work. And if you're not from New York, Playwrights Horizons is off-Broadway, but one of the premier theaters for new work. So it's just amazing to me that this, you know, doors don't always fly open like this. I've had a long (laughs) career in the theater, and I've had, as I know all of us have, those experiences of having a beloved project, you know, something that's very close to your heart and spending years on it and nobody quite gets it the way that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a different experience where Alice Bliss just kind of opens doors. Um, And I I can't... um, I can't really speak to why that's happening. I'm just incredibly <laughs> grateful that it is happening. Um, and uh, Jenny Gehring is the composer, as I mentioned. Adam Guan will write the lyrics, and it's the first time I've ever worked with a lyricist. And this is another interesting part of the process. Um, because I'm so close to these characters and I hear their voices so distinctly in my head, I can't um, alter them or turn them into poetry or turn them into lyrics. So uh, it's very interesting to have a different um, kind of collaboration with a third party involved as uh, as Adam is the lyricist. So that's really interesting. And our process, the process of, you know, taking this book and um, – with the word compression, I mean, theater is all, I, you know this, writing for television, it's all about compression, and mm-hmm. uh, so much will be gone from the book, but hopefully we will capture the essence of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, the three of us got together for a week this August to storyboard the show and start writing, so we've got three scenes and three songs already, and um, hope to be doing our first workshop in New York by next spring which is a very, also a very fast timeline. So again, this is an extraordinary opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of work in a short period of time. Now, I remember when yes. um, the uh, Titanic musical came out and everybody's yep. kind of gut reaction was like, wait, it's the, that's a tragic story. How do you turn that into a musical? And you're, a you're, musical. Yeah, and, and how yes. do you do that and well, you know, that that's always the challenge. Um, but for instance, uh Jenny, the composer, really feels like the model for us right now is Once, um, that's that's moved from off-Broadway to Broadway, uh, that it's a small, intimate, sincere show, um, and it's having tremendous success. So th- that's also, you know, what we're all kind of hoping for. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, will this touch a chord? Will, you know, the, the very, very emotional core of the book um, be singable and be something that people want to want to spend time with. We'll find out. And that that's I think that's where like the the greatest genius comes from is things where you you know collaboration of two things that you don't think is going to work, and right. if, you know when it's done just right, it's like mind blowing. <laughs> right, it's magic, 
right? Yeah. And it's and it and it's different from what you've seen before, even though of course it stands on the shoulders of everything that comes before, <laughs> but um it can be a little bit different. And it, and I love your comment that, oh my gosh, you've gotta you know, you're gonna have to be working so fast on this. I love what um Leonard Bernstein said about that. What you need for a good project, what you need is a great idea and mm-hmm. not quite enough time. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. That is so true. Isn't that true? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Whenever I get really freaked out, you know, about the time frame, I try to remember Lenny Bernstein. And, you know, after all, he did write the great American musical, um, West Side Story. So uh, I think he knows what he's talking about. He must have had about two weeks to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was fast. I think yeah. it was fast. And, yeah. you know, it is, you know, it, we all hold that up as a, as a standard of a great American musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Still now, today, you know, yeah. Yeah, all these yeah. decades later. Later, now, yep. Now, how does writing for the theater, now, like, me, I, for example, have written, you know, in a high school class, I might have written a little one-act play, you know. Yep. I have no, even though I'm a writer, I have no experience writing for the theater, and I'm sure many people listening to this, um, you know, are in the same boat, especially librettos and, and things like that. That's a whole yep. different world. How does that compare to writing a novel? Um, one of the biggest differences that I like to tell people about is that in the novel, you know, in any project that you write, you begin and you're in the dark and you don't know if it's going to work out and you're full of doubt and you just have to keep showing up day after day. It's kind of an active faith. But there's a middle period that I like to think of as the honeymoon and the project may still not work, but (laughs) something's happening and it's exciting and it's fun and the story is carrying you along. Mm -hmm. The big difference between writing for the theater and writing a novel is that that period lasts longer. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the story is bigger. The other really big difference is that, you know, finally I don't have to just express things through dialogue and subtext, but I can actually um, go inside the heads of my characters and be very, very close to them and their experiences and their internal world, uh, which is not something that um, theater carries particularly well. Theater is all about action. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that's also a, a joy to be able to do that. Um, what are the other differences? Um, hmm. Uh, well, one of the other big the things that I find really curious about bridging the two is that I, the theater I love the most doesn't just perform and happen in front of me without my participation, but Mm -hmm. it invites me into the process so that my imaginative experience is part of what's making that theatrical moment happen because I'm involved. I'm sitting at the front of my seat. And it was interesting to try to figure out how is it possible to do that with a book? Is Mm -hmm. it possible to engage people's imagination so that they are for instance, seeing your characters and imagining the world. Um, and how do you do that in a book after you've learned how to do that in the theater? Um, so that was pretty wonderful. And I think that a huge part of that is what you leave out oh. um, so that there's space for the audience or the reader to enter the story imaginatively. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thing you are always learning in theater, and I imagine for you in television as well, is how much you don't have to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's kind of an odd thing for a writer to talk <laughs> about the spaces in between. Yeah. Um, but I think they're critical for the imaginative uh, engagement of the reader or the audience. 
I think that's true. And when it comes to editing as well, like even in television, we'll have a show that's, you know, 11 minutes too long. And you're looking at it and like, you know, this show is perfect. How are we going to cut out 11 minutes? Well, when you have to, you find 11 minutes to cut out. And I think the same with writing and yeah, it's just the, uh, the, the art of not showing and still getting the point across is, well, and I and I think that um, those skills that you you have for being able to look at a at a at a at a, an episode and say it's fantastic. What do you mean we have to cut eleven minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, the skill to be able to do that and still retain what is most critical and what is most moving and what is creating the story is a tremendous skill to bring to novel writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and and. Um... I think also the, the other thing, oh, with, which you mentioned earlier, um, I'm trying to think exactly how you, you phrased it, but um, when you're writing for the theater and there's, you know what, what you write is going to be interpreted by mm-hmm. many, many people, not not even, be- I mean, even before it gets to the audience, is there's the director and the actors who are going to put their own stamp on, on everything um, versus novel writing where you have, you know, an editor obviously is going to help you out, but what's in that novel is your story. You know, it hasn't yep. been filtered through, creatively filtered through a whole bunch of different people. And yep. I think the, the final product is, you know, in the theater, I think, what am I trying to say? It's like, there, it seems like there'd be a, a release almost when you're, when you, you finally finish your um, play or the libretto and you hand it over to somebody else. Say okay, let's see what they're going to do with it now because it's out yep. of my hands. Is that well? I kind of think of um, the theater experience as writing a blueprint, um, mm-hmm. and you know we're all going to take that blueprint and hopefully the combined collaborative efforts of everybody on the team is going to make this work better and larger. You know, sometimes it's sad and we make it smaller and it doesn't work. But mm-hmm. the, the hope is that everybody's going to bring their creative talent to it and it's going to sort of ignite in this alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, but it also means you're completely vulnerable to that alchemy not happening. Yeah. And that alchemy, yeah. that alchemy has to happen every night. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. whether we're in a good mood or a bad mood or whether the lighting cues got messed up, <laughs> the, the alchemy is still supposed to happen. And it, it's supposed to happen with an audience that's tired and with an audience that's excited and with an audience that got dragged to the theater. <laughs> you know, so the, it's, there are so many variables that are outside of your control in the theater mm-hmm. that um, it's kind of delicious to work on a book where you're, it's your baby. Um, and yes, there will be people who weigh in, but for the most part, it's you and your vision. Um, and, uh, it was a a big contrast, a big contrast. Yeah. Well, now let me ask you, because Alice Bliss is a, it's not officially a young adult book, but it's very much a crossover book. Um, and even today, right before we did this interview, you were at a school, um, where the, basically the entire school had read your book and you were answering questions about that. Um, and I'm at, I actually asked this out of my own selfish curiosity because I myself had a manuscript um, a couple of years ago that I went out with that was very similar to yours in that there was a um, teenage female protagonist, um, loss of a father, family drama. Um, that was the core of the story. And I had always imagined it in my head as an adult book, as, as yours is. Um, yep. And... I was sending out to agents and multiple agents replied to it or you know, responded to it as though it were young adult. 
they were either saying, oh, you should be, this should be marketed as young adult, or one agent actually gave me, she recommended some books that were uh, young adult books that were more of what she was looking for, saying, can you mm-hmm. make it more like this? Did yep. you run in, into, into any of those issues, the crossover young adult issues when you were sending this book out? Um, I, I did. I, I sent, um, you know, a kind of polished first draft to an agent that a friend of mine introduced me to, and the miraculous experience of her reading it overnight and calling me and saying, okay, if this is going to go young adult, I need you to, um, the book is written in very close third person. Mm-hmm. And so we're in lots of people, lots of different people's heads and minds. And we, we move very fluidly from point of view to point of view. And she said, oh, we need to not do that. You need to probably put this in first person. Everything needs to be filtered through the main character. And um, I was so naive about the book world that I <laughs> just said to her, um, you know, that sounds reductive to me, uh, and I don't want to do that. So thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the weekend went by, and I thought to myself, what are you, crazy? You know, here's this fabulous agent. So I called her back, and I said, Sarah, I'm returning to you with my tail between my legs to say, could we, I may have, you know, misinterpreted some of what you said, and could we continue our conversation so that I'm sure I understood what your notes were? Because obviously I had a strong reaction. Mm-hmm. And what she said instead was, I am, because young adult is her world, and that's the lens through which she was looking at the book, she said, I've been trying to shoehorn this beautiful book into a particular category, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. So I'd like to give it to my one of my um, colleagues who works in women's literary fiction and see what she thinks. And um, so then she sent it to the woman who became my agent, and uh, her her notes to me were, this is wonderful, and you need to deepen some sections of this. You need to um, create all of your minor characters need some more life to them. And um, that was a you know fantastic note because she was saying to me, deepen the deepen the work and deepen the world of the book. Because I was what I was trying to do was write. I'm very inspired by uh, Thornton Wilder's Our Town, and I was trying to write about this family that this family's kind of held in the crucible of this community, so that the 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 townspeople and the other people that we meet in their world are also important and kind of a web around them. So that was a great note for me, and. Um, I'll, I'll just share this anecdote with you, Lynn, and I'm and I'm sure you you would be able to do the same thing from your experience with your script writing. So she said, so you know, when when could we have um, the revision? And you know, it's like a Monday, and I'm saying, well, do you is Thursday or Friday okay? And just complete silence at the other end of the line, and I said, so is that okay? I, I could do it faster. And she just burst out laughing. <laughs> and I realized then, you know, that we, that authors of novels will often say for a revision, well, you know, three months, six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a very different sense of, of a time frame in terms of revising. And once again, I was so grateful to my uh, theater work for really training me in how to revise and just even how to approach a revision. Wow. Yeah, that's funny. It's like they're expecting you to say March and you're saying Wednesday. But just to go back to your um, uh, experience with your book, you know, one of the things that's happening now is that the young adult market is so robust that I think everybody is looking at a book thinking, could it be young adult? Um, because oh, yeah. there's, you know, that, that, that market is really alive. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't, you know, the powers that be at Penguin decided to market it as an adult book, which was our intention with the hope that it would cross over um, into young adults. And, you know, that seems to be happening a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll sort of see. Uh, I, 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 you know, who knows? You just uh, the book will t- kind of take on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think but I have even... heard. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I have heard from readers ranging from a 12-year-old blogger in Australia to <laughs> a 95-year-old great grandmother. So um, oh, that's, wow. that's reassuring that you know I'm I'm reaching lots of lots of different ages who can all see themselves in the book. Yeah, that's that's a crossover right there. 12 to yeah. 95. 12 to 95. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with that demographic. Well, and the book itself is very non-threatening looking for younger readers. I mean, there's, a, you know, a lot of dialogue and it's not, you know, terribly right. long. And yeah, so it definitely seems not, doesn't it's not feel an like. not intimidating book. Right, right exactly. Um, now, how did you land your agent? Was that the um, late woman you were just talking about? Did she end up being the woman you signed with? She did. Um, and, you know, again, it was through the very gracious kindness of a friend of mine to introduce me to one agent at this agency and that, who then passed me on to someone else who turned out to be just a great fit. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that often very lucky. happens. Yeah, you, you uh, hear about agents, you know, passing things on around amongst each other. And, yeah, it's always nice to very, hear. Very. I know. Well, I, I, if, if everybody out there wants to... The, strangle me at this point um, because of how lucky this has been and that I, that I could show them my uh, slew of rejections in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Paid a lot of dues over the years, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, now a lot of um, elements of this book are drawn from your own um, personal experience with the, the home and the, you know, working in the garden and the relationship with the father and now, do you find it more, do you find it easier or more difficult to write when the subject matter starts hitting closer to home? Um, it's really unusual for me to write about subject matter that's close to home. And uh, so much of my work has been historically based. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written about the Civil War and World War One and Napoleon and Joan of Arc and on and on and on. Um, and it's always been kind of, I think, scary to me to come in close but the musical I wrote, Crossing Brooklyn, it has some young characters in it and has a 12-year-old boy in it who was everybody's favorite character. And I think that kind of gave me permission to go into the world of characters much younger than myself and also um, permission to say, oh, yeah, you know, there are lots of interesting contemporary stories and um, let's let's give this a try. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of new, new material, new untested waters for me when I stepped into this. Um, and it, it's, do you ask me, is it, is it difficult? Is it, it does, it, hmm, you know, everything gets filtered through us anyways, you know, I, I mean, Joan of Arc, my Joan of Arc is my Joan of Arc. It's, it's full of, you know, my, my prejudices and my way of looking at history, mm-hmm. um, just as every other Joan of Arc will be very marked by whomever is writing about her. Mm-hmm. So same thing, same thing happens here. I think we are always, you know, present in our work, um, maybe to a greater or lesser degree, depending on the, depending on the piece. Mm-hmm. Well, and at least with a book like this, there's less research to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know I've read I've written exactly. present tense or uh, uh, present day and historical both and yeah the present day stuff just gets cranked out so much faster so much faster yes so now I what's know the, 
what's a normal writing day like for you? Ordinary old day. You wake up and what do you do? Well, an ordinary old day, there's the old way and then there's the new way. There's pre-publication when I was <laughs> writing Alice Bliss and was kind of, you know, just I dropped out of my theater career for a little while, um, which was a little bit unsettling. And all I was doing was writing the book. And I was at it for just hours and hours and hours every day. And, you know, I'd begin in the morning, go to the gym, come back, write some more, take a walk, write some more at the end of the day and call it a day. Um, and then, of course, once your book gets published, you are supposed to do all kinds of things like, you know, build your platform and be on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, that has that's so overwhelmingly consuming when you're <laughs> learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then overwhelmingly distracting um, when you're <laughs> trying to get back to your work. So I've, I've gone to a very extreme measure now, which is that um, I get up an hour earlier than I used to. Um, and before I don't even leave my bed and I write for an hour before I go to the gym at 7.15. Oh, wow. That's dedication then, right there. <laughs> and then I can come back to it. But if I don't start with writing, it's really tough to not just get, you know, whooshed away or, you mm-hmm. know, whooshed away um, on everything else there is to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I completely understand that. And, yeah, you mentioned, you know, being on online and and Twitter and all that. And you have, you have an extensive website of your own and, and we actually mm-hmm. got in contact through Twitter and you Twitter. contacted us, which is, um, yeah. um, so obviously you're very, um, assertive when it comes to, you know, pushing your <laughs> book and marketing yourself. Um, how, how important is that for authors nowadays to do that sort of self-marketing? Well, it's considered really important. And I think it's because we don't really know what's working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much less, there are so many fewer print there are so many fewer reviewers in magazines and newspapers. There are so many fewer inch, column inches dedicated to reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really hard to get your book out there. And because we've lost so many bookstores as well, um, you know, where in the world is a reader? How can a reader read your book or if they can't find it? Yeah. Um, so these these methods have become kind of the we hope this will help. Um, and I don't think, are there metrics that tell us? that they actually do help. I have no idea. Um, but right now it seems like we're all trying to throw paint at every wall uh, so that we can, you know, get the word out about our book and keep the conversation going a little bit longer. So our book has a chance to find its audience. Yeah. Because like often, you know, like I'll go into Barnes and Noble and the first table I go to is the, you know, new, new paperback fiction right by the front door. But then, you yep. know, you go upstairs to the third floor and the old, you know, the old, fiction section and there's thousands of books up there and they're just sitting there on the shelf and you, you know, you really have to look through to be able to find those. And it's of course, you know, like, like anything that's, you know, more heavily advertised, the stuff just sitting right there by the front door is the stuff that's just going to get noticed more. And and every time you're, you're out there talking to one more person or, you know, your book gets pushed in one more place. I mean, that could lead to who knows how many more, how many more sales. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, for instance, at Barnes & Noble, I think that the publishers have to pay for that table space. Oh, do they? So, I didn't know that. And so, the you, you know, the book is on that table for as long as it's worth it for the publisher to pay for the space. And then it's replaced with something else. Well, I had no um, idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, which is not true in independent bookstores, where those books are there and the books that are featured are featured because the bookseller loves that book and really wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's interesting how 
really personal it all becomes. You know, you can kind of feel that it's overwhelming when you're on Facebook and Twitter, but when it comes down to speaking to someone like you or um, stopping in at a bookstore or a friend of mine posting on Facebook, oh, you know, I just saw that your book, this was a dream come true. Your book was a staff pick at this bookstore, and here's a picture. And, oh. you know, then I, so then I call the bookstore, and I'm like, hi, hi. <laughs> Can I come visit you? <laughs> Let's do an event. So yeah. yes, I am. I am much bold. It's like that that person who does Twitter and Facebook is much bolder than the real me. <laughs> the marketing side, and and yes, and I've heard a lot of people say um, when they when you start doing that, even just something as far as like like a, a Facebook page or a Twitter page, when you first start, you're very tentative. You know, you don't want to. Yep push yourself too much. You don't want to come across as, as obnoxious. You know, every, everything you put out there, you're afraid is going to be like nitpicked to death. And just the more you do it, the more you just get used to it. And, uh, you know, and I think you, I think you find your voice in that world. Yes. Yes. Um, I, you know, honestly, I don't think I found my voice on Twitter. I'm more comfortable on Facebook at this point, mm-hmm. um, in terms of feeling comfortable, both talking about Alice Bliss, but talking, just plain being a person who talks about books and things that interest me and other books and talking about the books I read and that kind of thing. Um, I, I'm just, I, I feel more flat footed on Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm, very open to continuing to learn, and I admire the people who do it with a kind of elan and spirit mm-hmm. um, and pleasure. Um, and you can you can feel it. Yeah, um, you can definitely feel it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really really true. Um, during the course of the first year for Alice Bliss, I at two different times I had a, a one very assistant, a high school student who was absolutely fabulous, who helped me with one project where we were trying to send Alice Bliss around the world. And then I had a college student, and they I learned a tremendous amount from them about you know how to do certain things, what, and then get, also get some feedback because that's the other bizarre thing is you're putting all of this stuff out there all the time, and anybody listening, anybody care to how to offend anybody, you know? Right, right. Um, what, what, how, how am I doing out there? And, um, it's kind of hard to get a read on that, so it's very useful when you can get a little feedback. Yeah, well, what did they tell you, just while we're on topic, how did, what did they tell you about that, about getting feedback? Um, they were incredibly specific. For instance, on Twitter, you uh, it's not okay to talk about yourself all the time. And on Twitter, mm-hmm. you should be adding value, nine out of ten of your tweets, and one out of ten talk about what's happening in your world uh, for your book. Yeah. Um, anybody who's on there all the time marketing something, people just shut them, stop following them or shut them down or pay no attention. Mm-hmm. But on your Facebook author page, that's where people are coming to, that's where supposedly fans are coming to find you and they want to know what's happening with your book um, and where you're going and what you're doing. So that's the place to, you know, talk about the schools you're visiting, the libraries, um, as well as, you know, anything tangentially interesting to that. Um, so that was that was really helpful because I felt like I was just floundering around. Yeah, and that's great advice because yeah, there are the people, and I'm I'm sure I'm guilty of it myself. Just you know, you go on Twitter and you just push stuff and then don't offer people, you know, anything else to to any other reason to follow you. So yeah, that's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Or or aren't actually interacting, you know, just posting but not really um, interacting with anybody else. Right. Right. So now, what is up next for you? Um. The musical will probably have its first um, 
reading or workshop in New York in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I'm also um, on the cusp of finishing the first draft of my new book. Um, and I'd really love to get that into the hands of my agent by the end of the year. Um, and that's what I'm working towards. I also, I teach, um, I teach playwriting at MIT, which everybody's always surprised by that little factoid, um, <laughs> which is a fabulous, fabulous place to work. And I, I'm not teaching this semester for the first time in 17 years in order to try to finish my book. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty motivated to get that. Off my desk and onto hers. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully out into the world. And, you know, plus I want to write the next one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So so much to do. Yeah, so much. Well, good luck with all of that. Um, Thank you. We're almost out of time, but we have a little segment we do at the end of each interview called Rapid Fire. And I'll just give you, um, present you an either or question and you just choose whichever of the two you prefer. All right. Okay. Um, New York City or upstate? New York City. Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera? Les Mis. Grape juice or tomato juice? Ooh, neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Better book written by an Alice, The Lovely Bones or The Color Purple? Color Purple. And this might be a tougher one, but uh, writing for the theater or writing novels? Okay, you love what you're doing now the best, so writing novels at the moment. Ah, that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. Well, yeah, you know, your current project is always your favorite, right? Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Thank you, Chris. It's been great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. And Laura's book is Alice Bliss, and it's available in stores and online. And you can find out more about Laura at her website, lauraharringtonbooks.com. And if you have any questions on the craft or business of writing, send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.